Blog Talk Radio. Now let's join Holly Steffi and Red Velvet Media as we explore the inspirational worlds of music, media, and more. good way to start a start an, a weekend right when the rain comes i i'd like to have some rain out here in california um welcome to red velvet media blog talk radio and i have um sean weiss back again and he was on my show before and we've we've just had such a fabulous time talking and i've enjoyed his photography over the years he just kind of has this iconic 
these iconic images that are just like kind of where you had to be there at the right time, at the right moment. Um, so for everyone listening, this is Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio. I'm Holly Stuffy, and if you'd like to tune in, you could do so by um, going into the chat room, listening live. The show will be available also afterwards as an MP3 and also as an um, download on iTunes and also a download on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio. The phone number to call in is 347-677-1036. And with that, I am going to bring Sean into the studio, and we are going to start our show off here talking about some of, this real, some of these really cool images that if you're looking at the player, you can see them. Um, Sean, welcome back to the show. Hi, Holly. Hi, everybody. How are you? <laughs> so glad you're here. Um, God, Sean, you just have these images. I mean, I, I first noted some, noticed some of your images because everyone knows I love the Beatles and John Lennon and well, I love them all. But um, your images, and then you've also got some images of some other people that you've you know taken pictures of Jim Morrison and um, you know countless people. And um, these images are just so iconic. So what I want to ask you is first, let's start like at the beginning. How did you get into photography? How did this all start for you as a as a young adult? Or oh well, I was I. Back in 64, I was 17, I Uh had just finagled, um, my sister and I had gotten on to see the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, and living in New York, Uh it was the media capital back in the 60s. It, It was interesting in the fact that there wasn't this restriction and there wasn't this security, things weren't tight. Oh, yeah. in Manhattan, you could walk up to the hotel, mm-hmm. and and some most of the hotels weren't this phenomena known as the Beatles and and the British invasion. They the plaza would stop you from going in, but you could go. There was the Gorm and the Hilton Hotel, and people didn't realize that. The Stones stayed at the Hilton. The Who stayed at the Gorm in New York. And I was, I carried, used to walk around with a 126 camera that my was given to me by my mom. And so people think these photographs are iconic, but it's actually the the celebrities that I had taken the photographs of that, that are iconic. Mm-hmm. It just, being in the right place in the 60s was instrumental in getting a capturing a, a magical time which would become a, a magical time in in music history because their 60s will never be replaced and the groups that I was fortunate enough to meet uh, blessed our souls many of them aren't here anymore but uh, those photographs, when I show them now, they're all faded, turning yellow. But it was a magical time. It was mm-hmm. a special time, and I was fortunate enough to be in the heart of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, um, now, as a as a young adult going and seeing the Beatles for the first time, what did you think when you saw them for the very first time? Like, uh, you probably just like it was like a total major fell in love with the music, probably you and your sister did. Um, well, 
uh, you know, Holly, the, I never, my expectations of the Beatles were, I went there not, I mean, the whole, that whole weekend in, in 64, in February 7th to the 9th, became very impressive. I, be, I was impressed by four guys that my sister had heard about, I knew nothing about. I got caught up going to JFK and and uh, going to the airport on February 7th, and then those three days, the two days after, being caught up in something that I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. I was into the Four Seasons and Jan and Dean and the Beach Boys and, you know, the the genre of music that was... I, I was born in 47, so, you know, when I was 10, it was 57, and I was just becoming aware of what music was. And my grandmother lived in New Jersey, and she lived next to Frankie Valley. Wow. And I would, so I knew who the Four <laughs> Seasons were. So, but, but the reality was is going to the Ed Sullivan show uh-huh. and sitting up in the balcony and just being totally, uh, I, that's when I became a Beatle fan was from February 7th for the rest of my life. (laughs) I know. I mean, you have some amazing, I mean, for anyone that's looking at the player um, on the page, you can see it. And also, Sean is on Facebook. Uh, You can check out some of his images on there as well. Um, You've got got some really cool images. I mean, and I know there are a lot of memories that go along with them, and not only just of the Beatles. I know you have other images of other people that you've taken. Uh, do you want to share some of the moments sure. of people that you, know, you took Holly, photographs of? Yeah. The, the the 64 was a very special time, but I was 17. Oh. I was uh-huh. I wanted to be an actor, and uh-huh. I did a TV show and started in 65, which was a remake of American Bandstand. And and this oh, really? is how I evolved tremendously in, in with music artists. And we did a show every day out of Newark, New Jersey, at the Moss Theater, and it was called Disco Team. And what it was was a twist on Dick Clark's American Bandstand. Uh-huh. There was a man called John Zachary who was a ghoul of a guy. He dressed up as a vampire mm-hmm. well before Elvira ever existed. And there was uh, a dance show that came out of, it was on VHF at the time, and it was on... Um, Channel 47, which was a local TV TV station broadcasted in the the metropolitan area, and it brought celebrity, unknown artists at the time. As I named them, they they became iconic groups. But we would bring a group a month uh, mm-hmm. to the show. And they were unknown artists at the time. They were just fledging artists. Some of them were the Blues Magoos. Keith, who did the song, 98.6. The Box Tops. 
a little group called the Loving Spoonful. <laughs> uh, wow. And one day uh, I got a call home. I knew a man called Danny Fields, and Danny was a um, contributor to Sixteen Magazine. And he had asked if he could get this unknown group on Disco Team. This was later on in 67. Actually, it was uh-huh. in June of 67. And uh, I said, yeah, here, get in touch with Barry. And he called Barry, the producer. And one day in June 1967, who comes walking down the um, into the studio down that we said... It was a, a two-tiered studio, and upstairs was like a glass mm-hmm. where people sit, and downstairs where the offices were, and downstairs was, was a studio. And here came Danny with a, a group that I never heard of. They had a, a a song being just breaking on the radio, and it was called Light My Fire. turned out to be Jim Morrison and the Oh, Doors. that's crazy. Wow, yeah. So these were groups that... I would get involved with on a personal level and and on the show level there was all these groups that became synonymous with the 60s culture the critters the 1910 frucum company um I said Keith and and on and on uh a, a group called Chips and Company, which was a friend of mine who went on to be producer of, with John Lennon. His name is Dennis Ferranti. It was yeah, a great Dennis. guy. And um, Zach had brought this unusual dance show uh-huh. to the air and invited all these, at the time, uh, striving, uh, striving to be successful unknown artists. The mm-hmm. left bank, and it, it was something very interesting to be a part of back in the '60s. So through that, it gave me more access to mm-hmm. other groups, such as the Stones, who played at the mosque with Peter Bennett, who became my dear friend and and in the '60s a, a mentor. Uh, Peter was, uh, he, he worked for APCO at the time and he was a promoter. He would go out and promote like the Stones and people that were on APCO records, Donovan and, and, uh, you know, knowing Peter, I was able to get into different places and everywhere I went, I took a 126 camera. Sure. I bet. I would. <laughs> wow! Well, I did. <laughs> it was an expensive film, and you waited a week and a half to get it back. But uh, I always wondered to myself how many people at Kodak would see these iconic celebrities and keep the photographs, because <laughs> I, I I get amazed that I I I will look on different sites. And I'm holding the slides, and you know I have the possession of the negatives. Or as the time went on, I got into slides. Mm-hmm. But um, and I see them, and I see my photographs, and I say to myself, "How did they get these?" <laughs> I'm just wondering now if people from Kodak would just make copies. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. You know, you have a lot of, uh, some of the photos that I've um, put up are original, the originals. Um, have you ever made copies of these and ever, I know that you had a contest going on. What was that about? Let's talk about that real quick. You had some kind of contest going on, right? Well, I I like to see anybody who appreciates, you know, something that, I was fortunate enough to be around and enjoy. I will send them copies. Uh, I've I've always have. When I lived in England, mm-hmm. I would, I you know, I had it perfect because I was had, you know, all access to Apple Records, and I would be able to take photographs of the Beatles anytime I wanted, as long as they were at the studio. So through the in the '60s, people would write me, or friends of mine at the time. It wasn't like today with social media that everybody's instant. You know, people found out I was there. The fans that would come and see the Beatles, and we would basically become pen pals, and I would swap photographs with them. And the. Um, I didn't have a concert. More like I realized that I was able to, with the love of the Beatles, I was able to use a lot of my photography to raise money for, like, the veterans, which Paul and Ringo just did, and they signed a piano, and it raised almost $100,000. And Mm -hmm. it, it turns out that these... 126 instamatic photographs that I was taking have a lot of people want copies of them. Mm-hmm. So through Facebook, I post the only way I can't invite hundreds of people into your home. So I use Facebook as a way to show what you have. Yeah. What I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, it, it's the bad thing about doing that is that it then you don't know what happens when somebody right clicks it, saves it, and it's 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 in the cloud, so to speak. Exactly. But, no, I know, I know all about that copyright and 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 intellectual property and all that. Yeah, I know. It's like the watermarks have to be there, and now they've got a program that removes watermarks, and I know, it's crazy. I I saw that the other day where it said, Sean loves to watermark his photographs, I love to remove them. And it was a picture I had taken of Paul walking to Abbey Road, and it was just his face. and, And it was interesting how, as much as I had watermarked it, it seemed that he was able to clear it off. But go back to the contest. The contest was for a set of four photographs I did in L.A. at the Revolver press conference. Mm-hmm. And um, the contest went, went well, and I raised enough money to give to some veterans who were less fortunate and others who, you know, in in the Boston area, there's a lot of veterans who stand out on the street and families who um, can't afford a daily basis to put bread and, you know, 
on the table and food on the Exist, table. Exist, so, basically, yeah. I totally get that. Mm-hmm. And if if these photographs that are sitting in foot lockers will somebody was willing to pay for them and the money could go and help these unfortunate veterans, I was all for it. So that was the contest. And it did good. Mm. It was it was fun and I enjoyed doing it. And there's um uh, you know, there's also an ego thing in it. You know, it's like somebody likes that photograph. You know, that's mm-hmm. it. It's um, it's flattering that somebody thinks enough of just from seeing something that you happen to be fortunate or I happen to be fortunate enough to be in in 1966 or 65 or whatever the date was, and they appreciate it. Yeah, so no, absolutely. Yeah. On the uh, Facebook page, there's literally, I, I, I last count, there's there's got to be like 20,000 that are just, people could just get to without um, even uh, being just friend? look my <laughs> Yeah, being a friend, they can just look. Uh, I can hear, I can hear it ringing. That's kind of a, that's kind of a cool ringtone. That's I like my, that. I think that's my granddaughter. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, you have to tell your granddaughter that you're on the air right now. If she wants to listen, <laughs> tune in again. Um, I have Sean Weiss on uh, on here with me on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio. And if you um, want to tune in, the chat room is open. If you'd like to call, the number is three four seven six seven seven one zero three six. And um, we're talking to Sean about all his. Amazing photography. Have you gotten, did you, you know, did you get into anything else besides photography? Did you start um, doing interviews with any of these people? I mean, did you have conversations with them during this well, time? Personal conversations. You know, how the, the the strange thing is that I was a fan uh-huh. who stepped into this world that, I, no matter what, they were Paul McCartney, it was John Lennon, it was Ringo Starr, it was Mick Jagger, it was mm-hmm. Jim Morrison. I was a fan, or I grew into a fan of their music. The reality is is that this whole interview thing and stuff I, I never got into. I also never wanted to uh, be a... Um, a pest, so to speak, and because of where I, the people that my family and people like Peter Bennett, I was always told, you know, just sit there and and be and 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 be quiet. So it was more like being a fly on the wall. When you had conversations with them, I think it was more. The conversation of, hey, how are you? How's the family? How's Linda? How's Yoko? Mm-hmm. How's Cynthia? How's Julian? It wasn't It wasn't where it was scripted. I sat through a lot of press conferences with different celebrities or different artists, and that was never my conversation. My conversation was, um, oh, you bought another, I, I, I love the jacket you bought. It was more personal and more on a friendly basis. So I mm-hmm. never, 
I, in hindsight, I should have done all that because I think it would have been so much more interesting than hearing, you know, what John ate for lunch. Um, but I, I don't think the friendships or the relationships would have lasted as long. I, I think they would have just turned me off and I wouldn't have been able to have access to things had I been more of um, somebody who sat there and drilled them on questions. I yeah, think no, I was harmless, more... so they yeah. looked at me as, as being a, uh, a harmless friend and, and that I wasn't going to do anything that uh, they didn't have to watch their P's and Q's when they spoke with me because they knew I wasn't going any further. It was all personal, mm-hmm. if that answers what you what you meant. No, totally get it. And I think I think what's really cool about your photos, they all are so personal, and there's stories behind a lot of them. Um, like, what are some of your some I know that probably you can't say which that you have one or two favorite photos, but um, you want to talk about one of the photos and a story behind it, and tell our listeners well, a little bit about some I'll, of the I'll things give that you, you remember. A, a, a period. I was living yeah. in London, and uh-huh. I had be over the years. I became very close with Mal Evans. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So much that. Um, Mel was more, more like a, a protector of me, especially in this. It was sixty July '69, and and everything was in turmoil. Apple was in turmoil. The Beatles mm-hmm. were in turmoil, and I would get to uh, Abbey Road, and I would be able to walk past that EMI door. So I would mm-hmm. be able to go inside. And I'll never forget, George was doing um, Here Comes the Sun. And it was the middle of July. Uh... And Mel goes, come on, we have to go to Marble Arch. And I says, oh, don't tell me. You know, we, I would go with to this Indian restaurant with Mel all the time or by myself. Mm-hmm. To pick up food for George, yeah, when he would work in the studios, so by you know late at night we'd drive over there and the, the Mel would call ahead or, or I would call to this Indian restaurant and get George's food and he, George would always basically eat the same Indian dish and um I'll never forget after the afterwards. I, I had taken a couple of pictures of George in, in Dallin Studio too. They mm-hmm. became a very not that they were the greatest shots in the world of George, but they mm-hmm. became very personal to me because of the the here I was where nobody was. It was very hard when you got into the studios with them. You, you had to realize that there was a chain of command, even though the Beatles were what everybody was there for. George Martin was the Indian, the chief, and everybody else was Indian. So I always felt that 
I couldn't have the freedom to do what I wanted or just snap photographs when I wanted. I had to always do it in respectfully to to the people around that was George or or Jeffrey Emmerich or anyone that was sitting in the studio, uh, sitting up there in that engineering booth and and mm-hmm. controlling everything. But this time, it was George Martin wasn't up there. And he, it was just playbacks of what George had done through the course of the day. And I was more free to snap without somebody snapping at me for being where I shouldn't be. or Oh, yeah. You know, you know even though you're in a studio that everybody knows your face, they don't, might not know your name, and only certain people knew who you were. And... Um, this you belonged. Night, you you were there. You you were part of I it. I felt I was there. I yeah. felt it was it was it was probably one of the better times of being at at Abbey Road and being mm-hmm. free without restriction. And those photographs you, meant something to me. Yeah, no. Did you what did you think? Did you see recently the Google Abbey Road where they allowed people to actually for the first time, do a virtual tour of Abbey Road um, on Google. Did you yes, see that? I've seen that. Yes, that's pretty and, cool. Uh, you know, and it's it's amazing when I when I looked at it, it just brought back so many years of memories for me. I bet. Uh, and then just to think that you're there, it, it's still a pinching feeling. You know, I still pinch myself sometimes because. It's it's 50 years ago, or you know, mm-hmm. 45 years ago, and and you think about it, and you say, was that really a part of my life? It's 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 not. It, sometimes I believe it's not even real. It's it's like a, a dream. <laughs> like and a, yeah. When am I going to wake? But the reality is, it is 50 years later, and I did mm-hmm. get to do those, and the photographs are. Um, I guess a a homage to the Beatles because they, as much as people think they had everything, they stood in front of uh, cameras where there could be 500 people and they were all snapping photographs. So my the photographs I had taken, I was very fortunate. I was able to give to all of them. So they all had copies of them if they kept them. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. It was my way of saying thank you to them. And then um, you see them through the years. The last time I saw John was when he was doing Double Fantasy. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, standing, waiting. He was coming out, and I had brought a friend who wanted to meet him. And at that time... and George, uh, John wasn't signing autographs anymore, so he wouldn't give her an autograph, but he would take his picture with her. And I always say, yeah, the autographs are great, but having a photograph with John Lennon would be amazing. And she yeah. came from from Ireland to meet him, and, and, and she, to this day, the, the photograph somehow circulated through the Internet. And, and you know, it's like a, a second of time captured for eternity because sure. once the photo is taken it's there forever mm-hmm. it's like on 
Tuesday night, I don't know if some of your listeners who live in the New York area, mm-hmm. Bob Gruen is doing a book signing. Yeah, with Yoko. I just right. had him on. Yeah, I just had him on last week, and we talked about the book signing he's going to do. And I know Yoko doesn't really normally make those appearances. Are you going to go? Yes, yes, I'll be there. Oh, Yeah, amazing. I'm looking forward to it. You know, um, Yoko has always been a very gracious woman, and I know there's mm-hmm. other people, certain people have certain opinions of her, but to me she's always been a gracious woman, and I think her relationship with John opened up John's creativity, and he... Mm-hmm. he Groom leaps and bounds having her by his side, uh, and that's my opinion. That's you know other people might say differently, but um, when I found out that um, they were going to be there and do this book signing, I, I, I again that just shows the type of woman Yoko is because the focus is going to be on Bob and Jody and. Yoko's actually going to be the the third wheel, but because of her name, this has become a massive event. Yeah. They actually moved it. I know. I heard. I heard because there were going to be so many people. Do you have the book? Do you have the book? Uh, No, I I have a proof book uh, Uh where they first, you know, they first come out. They're called Yeah, proofs. uh-huh, ahead of time. Uh-huh. And I have that. I don't have the version that they're selling. Yeah, uh, so when you go, I know I, I asked uh, I asked Bob, I said, um, people that have the book, can they bring it with them and have Yoko sign it? And he said what they're trying to do is um, have everybody buy the book there, and right. then they're, they're going to do a book signing Um there, but I know you have an advanced copy. I know I get a lot of advanced copies on different books. Um, I got an advanced copy on a book that they wrote about Lou Reed, which was very interesting, um, which hasn't been published yet because there were some things in the book that they just were kind of like a little not really wanting to release to the public, but um, we weren't allowed to talk about what was in the book, but it's pretty it's pretty interesting. And um, uh, just yeah, I think I'd be a little I'd be a little guarded too about it, you know, but you know, it's like you I you get a memory and you icon you make it like something like you said it's a forever thing in your head. It's sort of like a photograph um that stays with you forever, you know. Um so you know, when you were younger, did you always know that you wanted to do photos, or was it something that you just kind of like got into as you got older, and you decided, hey, you know, let's take some pictures and stuff like that? Did you do anything in well, school? No, never did anything. It was, it was something I just enjoyed. That I enjoyed doing. Uh-huh. Uh, I used to walk in Central Park a lot because I lived by it, and. I would take pictures of trees, and it's. I just enjoyed it. It's. Uh-huh. It was never a anything that I did to make money because my pr- profession was law and not mm-hmm. um, photography. 
people think today I was a photographer because they see all these photographs, but reality was just a hobby that of taking photographs of of individuals who are our heroes or were mm-hmm. my heroes and and at a time when and and everybody knows that we always live in the now, you know, and tomorrow's the future and yesterday's gone. And so you can't go back and create a photograph, no matter how blurry it was or how uh, clear it was, it was still a, an instant of time. Uh, um, and mm-hmm. you can't get those back. So the, the hobby became more as I became financially stronger I was able to go out and buy Nikons and but when I first uh-huh. started it was a Kodak 126 camera with the flash bulbs that you had to stick into the top of the camera to get it to work for a flash otherwise they were too dark and photography became a, a, a hobby as it becomes with a lot of a lot of people they enjoy photography, but they don't pursue it as a career, and which I never mm-hmm. did. I should have maybe. Uh, I probably would have gotten mm-hmm. much better at it. Uh, oh yeah, no, today, absolutely. Like last I think. Week, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. The phone was cutting out here a minute. Um, I think that. You know, taking a photograph like you do, like and and the original way is pretty is pretty intense and very interesting. You know the way that you keep it. Well, um, and it's original thing, and you don't you don't you don't tweak it out like a lot of people have been redoing and touching things. This is like real raw stuff. So if you see any of these pictures in the player, you can even see time and date stamps on it. Um, which is kind of cool, but it's interesting that you got into the Nikon cameras later too, um, and then you um, were an entertainment attorney. So, did you work with any of the people that are, um, you know, that you've actually photographed? Were any of these your clients or anything? Well, yeah, I worked with Pete Best and Billy J. Kramer and Denny Lane and Terry Sylvester and. Peter and Gore, you know, you work, yeah, it was, again, it's a pinch mm-hmm. situation because you don't believe, I never would believe that I would work with Peter and Gordon or do something with Billy J. Kramer. When I first met, or I didn't really even meet him, I first saw him was at the Tammy show in in California back in the mm-hmm. 60s with Jerry Marsden. And, and I went to see Jan and Dean. My aunt oh, lived wow. there, and uh, and uh, she, she knew I was a big Jan and Dean fan. And then mm-hmm. the reality is is that you become friends with these people you idolize. I'll mm-hmm. never forget, it was in the 80s, maybe 85, 86, and I was... I. A friend of mine named Randall Kirsch, who now plays with the Beach Boys, 
invited me to go to Jan's birthday party mm-hmm. at uh, place on Sunset, and here I am going to the uh, Jan's from Jan and Dean's birthday, and I idolized him. So, so all I did, I get to the to the birthday party, and I just sit and stare at him <laughs> because, you know, he was my idol. You know, you well, saw, I saw, I got to see him in concert, and, and uh, I'll never forget after he passed, his wife writing me this touching note that I still have today. And so you, I've been fortunate that, yes, I've worked with many of the people that I idolized, and I have to say that they're all class acts. Not, I, None of them ever put their thumb against me or stuck their nose up no matter what they were from playing with McCartney to Paul to Billy they they became classy people they mm-hmm. didn't let their fame change them and and and, and I, I I'm I'm assuming that's why we uh, we continued down a, a, a path that was friendship and working because they all were classy it's like with Pete Best uh, to become as close as I became to Pete and to have a relationship that I had with the Beatles and to know the truth behind the stories of Pete and the Beatles and and then Mm -hmm. to have this relationship not only with Pete but with his family, it's it's touching and it's and I'm I was honored so mm-hmm. I no matter how far you progress with them on a professional level I was still their fan and it it, it you had to walk this you know tight tight rope so mm-hmm. am I their fan or Am I working for them on a professional level? And to this day, I was just going to say, it's like last weekend. One of my idols in terms of entertainment has always been Catherine Hellman. And Mm -hmm. last weekend, I got to spend the whole weekend with her. Oh, wow. And I, I, through this weekend of this past weekend, you know... I got to see um, Patricia Quinn and and Barry Boswick, and you get to talk to them. I went to dinner with Barry, and and at the end, it's like, can I take my photo? <laughs> because can I'm you a take fan. a photo? Yeah, no, I, I hear you. <laughs> so he goes, sure, and you know. Um, we were at dinner, and you know I'm sitting next to him, and you're still a fan, but you know their their presence of who they become, and you have to respect it. But to me, when when I first met Patricia Quinn, it was in London, and she was doing the Rocky Horror play, mm-hmm. and my at the time um, one of my um, uh, one of my um, partners invited me to go to this play, and I knew nothing about Rocky Horror Picture Show. And oh, here my I God. am in this theater in London, and 
Tim um, Curry comes marching down the center aisle of this theater, this play, and that's when I had first met Patricia Quinn because I stayed with uh, my friend and he wanted to get autographs and I had no interest of collecting autographs, Mm -hmm. which was probably another mistake because I didn't go for people's autographs. You know, I figured Mm -hmm. taking a photograph of them showed more than, than having something signed on a piece of paper, which again was a mistake because I have people ask me all the time, um, well, you must have some great, or, you know, I got him once, you know, you get somebody's autograph once. I, I felt it was wrong to keep asking him, especially when they knew who you were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you go to Paul and how many times? I think a picture tells so much more. Yeah. Because a picture captures a moment in time, don't you think? Yeah. And, and you it's know, like... it's... It, even if you had the autograph, there's still people that will doubt the authentic, being authentic, mm-hmm. and and I get a kick out of that. It's mm-hmm. like it's like somebody will say to me, "How can you remember that photograph?" And mm-hmm. I'll say, "Because I I I had taken it, and it's a lot like anything that it's important to you." it stands out in your mind. Yeah, it gets tarnished as time goes on and, and it might get tweaked a little bit, but the reality is is that how many times do you run across meeting John Lennon mm-hmm. or Ringo Starr? And to the average person who runs into them, that stands out in their minds forever. Sure. So the the good thing with me was always that I could remember exactly where things were in the time frame and and what was going on while that photograph was taken. Mm-hmm. And people get amazed that I can remember that. And I said, listen, it wasn't. It was only a certain time of my life, but was such an important time of my life. And there's been so many times that I've been in situations where I never even had the opportunity to take photographs, which I didn't mm-hmm. because it was mm-hmm. stopped, you know, they, or they wouldn't let me, and they would stop you from taking it. But it it doesn't stop me, my mind, from photographing it and, and remembering it and, and having it stand out in my head. So... For me, things become very vivid. It's like going back to the first time that I was at Abbey Road. And I walked inside with Mel, and Mel asked me to sit down on the side, and I was waiting. And as he came back up with the Beatles to introduce me to them, I can remember exactly what they said to me. In mm-hmm. in harmony, they said hello. It was like hello, hello, hello. Like oh, how cute! Done. And That's the reality great. was, it was in EMI, Abbey mm-hmm. Road Studios, and I just froze. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. But these were four guys that would become so important to not only me but to the world. And here it is, 
50 years later that they're the importance of the world they people still walk into a room and and I my first question is so you froze because it doesn't matter you know that they're a human being there's it, there's just so much charisma of that in that human being that you just don't know what to say or what to do or and I've known many people who walk in to interview and they just freeze. And mm-hmm. John used to have the perfect answer to that. He would say, I would walk into restaurants and as soon as they recognized me, they never listened to me. So I could ask for a fat elephant and two dead chickens. <laughs> and they would sit there and go, yeah. Uh, <laughs> because people that is just funny. get brought up. Mm-hmm. So... So moments stay with you. I know I I know when I see certain photographs that I have, I can remember exactly it takes you back to what the sun felt like when that mo- when that picture was taken if it was an outside picture or the smells or where you were, you know, and stuff like that. You know what I wanted to ask you, what are you currently working on right now? Uh I you know, I was in the process of doing a book. Mhm. And uh, there was a death in the family, and uh, I guess the death became more important to me than the book, and and I wanted to rework a couple of chapters. And, and then after speaking to many friends who have put out books since then, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to reword it and tweak it and and be a little bit more open in terms of uh, what stories that... You want to tell on it, yeah. Yeah, things um, that are out there that mm-hmm. uh, may not be being worded properly. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is that there's, you know, there's always, uh, you know, you hear a story and you, you that story's great, and it, over the years it's become gospel. Mm-hmm. Well, you know the real story. Well, mm-hmm. at least in cases that certain people knew the real story, but no one ever really contradicted it because it, over the years it becomes like folklore, so you let it go, and it, mm-hmm. it's really not hurting anybody. And when I started doing this book, I guess I was very blunt in saying certain things, and then when you reread it, at first when you start jabbering, like I'm doing now, you say things, and and then when you go back and re-listen to it, you say, "Well, I shouldn't have said it that way. It should be said this way." And there you're are editing a lot of yourself. Yeah, no, I understand. I want to address mm-hmm. about certain times, um, just like in the being in Abbey Road when the Beatles were just falling apart. You know, I have a different perspective of it, and mm-hmm. 
you can har- you can harp on all the negative as well. The Beatles broke up and this and this and this and that, but they also came together and put out some really fabulous music at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think those things should be brought to light. Go back to Peter Bennett. I don't mean to be uh, to harp on Peter, who I miss dearly, but he was so instrumental in a lot of the British invasion success mm-hmm. that he doesn't get as a due. He was, you know, actually, to be honest with you, Peter was basically called a fabricator because he said that in 1965 he brought the Stones to see the Beatles at Shea. And there was never a... Um, unless you were down in that in the, the dugout area, you knew that. But mm-hmm. the fans, the 50,000 people in the stands didn't know the Stones were there. Mm-hmm. And Peter would always tell this story and and you know you hear things where people say that's not true and then TV Guy puts out this set of photographs from some photographers showing the stones at at Shea Stadium mm-hmm. and it was things like that and the things like that that you're privy to as being a friend, that you hear the stories and it's so, they're so different than what the truth is. Mm -hmm. And so I became very blunt in my book and and with all the other ones that hit the market that um, I get an opportunity to read and I enjoy them. Mm-hmm. But I, being there at the time, I was in England for a, a long period of time. Being at that that time when things were happening, it's a different perspective. And I believe because of where I sat at the time in the in the late '60s, being in at Abbey Road and and being fortunate enough to walk through that invisible wall that was the front door at Abbey Road, mm-hmm. I, 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 I thought, well, just being truthful and blunt and, and telling my side, when it was all said and done, didn't come out exactly the way I, I really would want it. So I haven't... So you're going to redo this book. That's yeah, I'm going to cool. redo it and and just leave it to photographs mm-hmm. and stories of how this photograph came about. Because oh, awesome! Then I, so I, I, a little sideline, like like side right, notes I won't, on, on I the won't pictures. Offend anybody? Mm-hmm. When Which are you thinking that you're going to do this uh, project? When is you? When do you I'm think it's going it to be completed? I'm doing it myself, and I'm doing it now. Um, Oh, awesome. I've gotten 16 photographs mm-hmm. uh, and 16 stories of the day oh, in the world. And uh, then I will take it to um, to market. I hope to, I like to have it done by July. 
Oh, great. Uh, depending on the circumstances, maybe August or... But then I will release it and... and at, well, at I'd love to have you back. Photographs that people haven't seen. So yeah. I'm not talking about ones that I've put up on Facebook or mm-hmm. you've ever seen, but these are ones of, you know, like backstage at Shea Stadium. Mm-hmm. With people like Neil sitting there and talking to the Beatles before mm-hmm. they went on in '66. That I'm talking about photographs like that. That I have Intimate 300 moments. of them that yeah. I'm, I'm working out and. Those will be the essence of the book. Oh, fantastic! Do you know what you're going to call the book yet? No, I, you know I've thought of many names like um, crazy names, and no, but it'll be probably something very simple and mm-hmm. uh, just an insider's view of what. Um, it was like being in certain places that the average fan could have never gotten into. Sure. It's like you had to be there. Yeah, you had to be there. It's like a moment, like, if you weren't there, you didn't know. And it's like, um, and then the stories you can tell along with the pictures, I think, are going to be really important to the people because a lot of people are going to want to know the reason behind, you know, what was happening and, you know, because I've seen a lot of different photos from a lot of different photographers that I've had on my show, and then also some of my favorites that I've that I look at, and um, you know, the stories behind the photos are so much more interesting because then it makes you understand the photos so much more. So that's great. We're going to look forward to your book coming out, um, hopefully by this by the summer, early fall. Um, so I definitely want to have you back. Oh, yeah. I will let you know and I will send you some. Oh, no, I would love to have love to have you back on. Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, Sean, how would they do that? Well, they can come to Facebook. Uh, I'm actually staring in front of my uh, computer and, and talking with you. And, uh-huh. Uh, Ray and Mark all said, tell Holly I said hi. You're, oh really? I guess, oh, I have to go. Wait, wait. Let me just see. <laughs> Mark. I, oh, Mark's listening from the UK. Yes. Oh, Mark. I love you, hey, Mark. Mark. <laughs> yeah. I just um, I do, I've been kind of going through it. It seems like everybody's like going to the next place recently. Um, it's just been like one person after the next, and you know, I'm kind of like putting my my head into a different space right now to be able to do this today because I found out yesterday about a very, very important person in my life that left and, you know, Bernard Stolman has left and, you know, it's just been like one person after the other. But, yeah, no, Mark, hey, so <laughs> that's so cool that Mark's listening. Um, well, I'm he, sure you have many fans, Holly, and, you know, it's you reach – you get to talk to so many people that don't go through the mainstream, and and that's important. It's a blessing that um, this show gives people like even myself, who is not really known very well, but gives me an opportunity to 
share things that I wouldn't normally share because I have no outlet to share it. Not that I I I want to keep with everything that I have and uh, hidden away, but the reality is is that I'm not mainstream. You know, uh, you have to. You have to be a really strong Beatles fan to even connect me to the Beatles. So um, I, I get honored when people such as yourself ask me to do things in Beatlehead. And, and, no, uh, I totally, I've done a I bunch totally, of uh, books. Yeah. I appreciate it because my perspective yeah. is different than a, somebody else's perspective, and and it, it's interesting for fans of the Beatles to to have a different take on what I got to see. So I um I I appreciate your show. I listened to it and well, I didn't know Bob you. was on but I was away last weekend and um I, I just you know, I will say this. Back in two thousand Uh huh. Um, you know who Ed Burns is? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. He did uh, Kooky 77 Sunset Strip. Uh-huh. Well, I was on at Randall's Island with Pete Best and Bo uh-huh. Diddley. And, and wow. who's sitting there with Ed Burns is Bob Gruen. Yeah. And I, so I have photographs of Bob that I've been saying for the last 14 years I would give to him, and I'm actually going to bring him to him uh, on Tuesday night. Uh, oh, he's going to love, he'll love that. And, you know, and he's, he's, he's famous for his birthday parties, too, you know. Right. So he'll love, <laughs> yeah, he'll love the, the photos. <laughs> yeah. I would always run into Bob when he would be, John or Yoko would be at an event and Bob would be there. And John uh-huh. had a, uh, uh, I don't know, if, maybe I shouldn't even say this, but I don't think it's, John used to have a touching name for Bob. He used to call him Out of Focus Bob. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> 10,000 photographs to get one beautiful one. <laughs> now, it's, it's um, I guess it would be, um, Bob, Bob would just take a tremendous amount of photographs, but Bob was so instrumental, and and I don't know even know if people understood that he was so big in the the punk music, the the yes. punk era. Because mm-hmm. a, a dear friend of mine used to play with the New York Dolls, and unfortunately he isn't with us anymore. John, and uh-huh. he would always rave to me about these photographs from this guy named Bob Gruen, and that's how I first... Oh, that's funny. Yeah, we... We we talk a lot about the New York Dolls and, um, you know, a lot of of the people that were in that moment, and John Holstrom and all the people that were instrumental in a lot of the groups and CBGBs, and we've done quite a few shows. So, like, it's, you know... The whole reason behind me doing Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio, or Red Velvet Media, period, is basically to get out, you know, pop culture, cutting-edge type shows. Um, in fact, next week I'm going to be having, um, you know, 
some special guests on, and it's going to be you know we didn't you know Willie Nile he's an amazing musician mm-hmm. he's yes. like got like something going on there and he's played with some of the best people too and he's going to be on and um, I know as they're talking about punk rock um, Richie Ramone's on tour right now I know he's in the area um, he's been doing a huge tour and I know Marky just finished his book and you know you've got all these people that are doing different things now so i think doing books and 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 telling your story is really where it's at right now because people want to know i think they just want to hear it you know so i think that's the important thing um that you get that that word out there to people and and people are able to be feeling like they're part of it so you know well you know people like you yeah it's a different perspective it's a different um under when when you uh, it's like being at a uh, car accident and having 10 people there they all have a different view and so they also have a different understanding of what occurred mm-hmm. the the fact is is that in this beatles world that seems to be shrinking on a daily basis the true insiders, people like Jack Oliver and Peter Bennett and and, mm-hmm. and even Alan Klein, and as time goes on, they a lot of them seem to disappear. And then you get people like Jack Oliver who, because he ran Apple, people didn't know who he who he was, and mm-hmm. but yet he had such a great insight. Everybody knew who Neil was. But mm-hmm. they don't realize Neil didn't start running Apple until well after the Beatles had broken up, and 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 so in the '60s, after Brian passed, it became a circus. And I'm not talking about the leadership, but Alan Klein just came in and started to rearrange what once was a very friendly uh, environment and changed it. And and so a lot of the, the friendly environment that was being let go became apathetic, so mm-hmm. to speak, towards what was going on. And, but those, as time goes on, these people pass on. Mm-hmm. And there used to be a, a, a guy that would, I guess they called him the Apple Hippie. His name was Richard DeLeo, mm-hmm. who came there, he came to Apple and just basically became a fixture in, in the place. But, uh, you know, even Richard had this tremendous way of taking these photographs and he and he passed on after he did uh the, he wrote the longest cocktail party mhm uh, that's richard well anyway as time goes on and, and as time passes marches on we lose the presence of these historians of beetle history mhm 
And unfortunately, once you once once the the, the covers close, it's closed, and and you you're not coming back from it. So it becomes these stories that are being passed down that become, uh, I guess, what people think is what Beatles were about. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, some of that is true, and a lot of it isn't. Mm-hmm. But if nobody is willing to contradict it, it be, it's gospel. And yeah, so that's as, why books are really important. People like you and historians and people that are telling the stories, you know what I mean? I think that's important. Yeah, well, you know, Holly, there's also a thing called appreciation and loyalty and and, mm-hmm. and and sometimes telling a version uh, your version is a betrayal mm-hmm. and and as much as you want everybody to know that because it's important that people understand it there's not very many stories that about the Beatles that um people haven't heard right there's more stories of the of the british invasion that haven't been heard than than about the beatles mhm i think that's I fascinating mean, we, mm-hmm. we know Ed Sullivan to the rooftop and mm-hmm. mark lewinson has captured everything in between um art beyond what anybody would ever imagine. I mean, he his um, book is, you know, what Beatles, Beatle people read just so that they know what the Beatles did in 1964 and such and such a time. So a different perspective on an old story always gets questioned because it's the old analogy of, you know, like I walk with you and now what will people think about me that haven't been a part, haven't touched me and walked with me. I'm, I'm trying to paraphrase it because I'm not that religious, but, and, and that's what happens. So in the Beatle world, very few people really physically touched the Beatles. There was a lot of people around them. Mm-hmm. And so the ones that touched them and and were in that, that, that basic little circle have a, um admiration for them and kept their insight to themselves. Oh, sure. It's called anonymity. I can't even talk. Anonymity. Right. So it's kind of right. like you know, you you know, it's like you're around someone, and you and it's like you're not going to go and tell, like the dirty little stories. It's like you want to make it, you know, have a have a little class about it. So I totally get what you're saying, you know. So I think that's really cool that you're going to redo your book, and make it more, you know. So you're telling the stories behind the the pictures. You know, and I think that's important that we get that. And then it's people like yourself that tell 
the truth or, or tell what we know is the truth and talking about things that are really important. Um, and so that's why it's like I wanted to have you on and I thought it was really interesting, you know, to hear all the different stories behind what you have because I know there's so many different groups of Beatle, people that love the Beatles and, um, you know, great artists that are out there and people that are inspired by different things. And I think that's the part that they live the dream, you know. So, um, you know, I think when you do come out with this book, I think that's going to be very monumental. And I want to thank you so much for being here today because this has, like, been really important to me because I look at your photographs so many times and I'm just like, oh, this is just, like, so amazing. So these pictures that you're putting in the book are unseen before pictures? Right. There's, I have 300 photographs that um, I must, I've collected, and, and I say that with all sincerity, uh, probably mm-hmm. 200,000 photographs mm-hmm. that I've digitalized and have on disk. That's why when people come to my Facebook page, there's just such a, it's not in order. It's just mm-hmm. random photographs because I'll take a disc from uh, the um, archive and I'll just put it in. I'll start showing photographs. Mm-hmm. But these are very special photographs because these were physically taken by me at a time when... I just was in the right place at the right time, and there was exactly. no, nobody hindered me from taking this photograph, and mm-hmm. they're very special. And so there's 300 of them, and I'm trying to get them down to probably 100 because with the writing the story to the photograph, it's, um, you know, I, I don't want the book to be way too big because then you know there's always a chance it'll do well and you'll want to do another one but the point being is that I wouldn't do this I'm not doing this book for money I'm doing this book so that every penny this book makes will go to the veterans because I'm very Mm -hmm. big in uh, wanting to give back to um, a country that has many veterans and a lot who are homeless so um it's rewarding to know that something that was done in the past can reward many people the future, in the future. yeah so yeah. I, I i tell people that when they ask me i said well you know i want to do it right i don't want to do it wrong i want to make sure that it's going to be something that people haven't seen because you can go to every single Beatle book and it's basically a lot of the same stuff. That's why Bob Groon's books are so so important and May Pang's and because they were their personal experience and they had things that the average person couldn't go and and look up. So they sure. became more important, uh, like Cynthia's book, and and anybody who had that 
presence to be around one of the Beatles or one of any of these British invasion stars and heroes of mine, uh, the insight into those little things are important. And there's many fans that would love to see the collection that I have. And it's it's wrong as a as a photographer to keep your work hidden because oh yeah you want to let people it. see it enjoy it totally right. so, get that and that's why the book is important to me is because it will bring joy financially hopefully to people that would never benefit Absolutely. Uh, I think that's important, and I think you're doing it, and the intention's there. So, you know, what better way to bring unseen photos that are really cool, that have really good stories, and then it's going to benefit for the better of a person that may not be able to do something. So that's amazing. I, I definitely want you to make sure, I mean, we're friends on Facebook, so I want you to make sure you keep in touch with me and let me know when sure. you're gonna get ready to do this book and stuff. I would really, really, really want to do do a show with you on the book when it comes out, and I want to thank you so much for um, being here today. And um, we opened the show with a song that you asked me to play called "Rain," which is really cool, which is by the Beatles, and we're ending the show with a song called "Yes, It Is." Um, you want to tell me why you chose Yes It Is? You know, my two favorite songs the Beatles ever did, I mean, the Beatles have in their catalog is Rain and Yes It Is. But to me, Yes It Is is that it just, it it's, well, I, real quick, I'll sum it up real quick, is that I had a conversation once at John's house. And I have mm-hmm. this set of photographs of John sitting in his backyard by his pool. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about something. And I had said to him that he, you know, we got onto the Fab Four, as I always did with, with anybody that would listen. And he asked me what my favorite song was. And mm-hmm. at the time, and I told him that Rain and Yes It Is was, Yes It Is is my favorite songs. And he asked why. And I said, because anything that I could ever, ever want or ever do was, became so much, I was more aware after the Beatles. Mm-hmm became visible. I mean, it, 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 they they took this little square box that I lived in, in 70 streets, and showed me that I could step outside the box and live the way I wanted. Mm-hmm. And John turned around and said, yes, it is. And I said, what does that Aww. mean? Yes, it is. But... He, I was referring to the songs that it gave me, the Beatles gave me the freedom to grow my hair long, 
to wear mm-hmm. striped pants or wear a velvet jacket. And it took me, it opened up my world. And Yes It Is was a song that I first sat down and realized that I wasn't restricted in, in anything I wanted to do. All I had to do mm-hmm. was accept what was, was being given to me and, and work and work hard and uh, the world, the walls were coming down. Mm-hmm. And that, their, their song, Yes It Is, even though it was probably about a woman, meant that to me. And that's when John said, well, yes it is. He was responding to what I was, we were speaking about. So oh, the song great. just, the, the song just has that, just when I, when that song comes on, I go right back to that moment, to that, that conversation with John mm-hmm. in, in his home. So, in Kenwood. So, um, that's the only reason the two songs just have so much meaning for me. Rain oh, I bet. Yes, well. well, we're going to end the show with Yes It Is, and I want to thank you for being here today, and I want to say to everyone, if anyone missed the beginning of the show, the show will be available on iTunes afterwards and also on demand on Red Velvet Media. It's Friday. Um, have a good weekend, and... Uh, uh, so I uh, want to remind everyone next week, Willie Nile, and I want to thank you so much, Sean, for being here today. And well, thank you for having me, and um, um, we'll do, uh, I hope to do this again. And um, Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to hearing Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, so here we go. We're going to end the show, and I'm going to say to everyone, um, it's Friday, don't drink and drive, and uh, make it a really good weekend, guys. And... Um, and take a deep breath as I'm doing and um, breathe through it, you know, and uh, have a, you know, thank you so much, Sean, for sharing all your stories. And I know there's so many more and I know that we could talk forever about different things. So I'm going to play Yes, It Is, and you can relive that moment in time. With that, um, I want to thank everybody for listening again, the chat room, And I want to say to everyone to have a great weekend. And thanks a lot, Sean, for being here today. Thank you. You're so welcome. Good night. You've been listening to Red Velvet Media with Holly Steffi. Thanks for listening. And tune in again next time.
Make me blue in spite of you. 